Hey, buckle up. We're diving in. Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going today. If you've got a Bible with you, get it out, turn it on. Colossians is in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1. And I know a bunch of y'all woke up this morning and thought, it's the week before Christmas. He's going to take it easy on us. We're going to sing some Christmas songs. We're going to talk about the little cuddly baby Jesus, and it's going to all be fun. But here's the thing. This baby is so polarizing that for 2,000 years, people have been fighting about who is this guy? Who is this Jesus. And in some ways, the world accepts that there's something unique about him. He's something special, right? We divide time by his birth. BC means before Christ. AD means Anno Domini. It's Latin. It means the year of our Lord. And that's just accepted. There's something unique about this guy. And then in so many other ways, we've rejected him. He's a good guy, but, you know, he's, he's nothing unique. And his birth, I mean, his birth really just means family time and presence and time off work. So the Apostle Paul sits down and he pens a letter to this group of people we call the Colossians. It's about 30 years after Jesus has lived and died. And he's going, this is who Jesus is. And I want for us today, as we race towards Christmas, I want for us to have a really clear sense of who is Jesus and the significance of his birth, both on this large scale, but then also personally. Does the birth of Christ matter to your life and to mine? Does it have anything to do with just our ordinary, everyday life that we're living? That's what I want to talk about. Let's get right into it. Colossians chapter 1, and Paul comes out swinging. I mean, he comes out strong, and he goes, this is who Jesus is. Verse 15, he says, the Son, the Son is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. Don't let this word firstborn trip you up. It just means of first importance. It's not that the Son of God was ever created or came into being. He has always existed. Firstborn is a throwback to an Old Testament phrase. You can look in Psalm 89, 27. It talks about this word of preeminence, the, the firstborn. He is the most important. So I want you to look at this word, though, the word image. He is the image of the invisible God. In our modern language, the closest thing we have is like snapshot or photograph. Jesus is the snapshot. He is the image of the invisible God. So throughout the sermon series that we've been in, we've seen Jesus showing up, right? He showed up to be a snapshot, to be a glimpse, to reveal the character of God. First in the Old Testament, he showed up in a burning bush. He showed up in a fiery furnace. He showed up in a rock. He shows up in all these ways to reveal the character of God, to be sort of a snapshot of God. And then finally, he comes. Jesus of Nazareth is Born And this man is the image of the invisible God. And what that means is that everything that is invisible about the character of God, everything that is unseen about the character of God is made visible in Jesus. So the story of history doesn't go that God ever peels open the sky. He doesn't part the clouds and go, hey, hey, hey here I am, look at me. Instead, he sends Jesus. And questions that we have about God are answered in the person of Jesus Christ. Questions that we have about the character and the love of God are answered in Jesus. So much so that Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the image of the invisible 
God. But that could almost make it sound like Jesus is just an ambassador. He's just a representation of God. So keep going because he's not just a lookalike. He's not sort of a stand-in for the real God. Keep going. Verse 16, Paul says that for in him, that's Jesus, for in Jesus all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, that's Jesus, and for him. So wait a minute, because this is a little confusing, right? Paul is saying that Jesus, who is Jesus? He is the one who made everything. So problem, because when I open my Bible and I go to page one, the first things I read are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say in the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. It says that God did that. So how are we supposed to understand this? What should we do with this? What's Paul saying? Remember, there's this debate going on in the city of Colossae. It's the same debate that's going on today of who is this Jesus? See, everyone thinks Jesus is a great guy. I mean, just Jesus as a human being, like everyone thinks he's a great guy, but so many people stop there and you go, that's, that's all he is. He taught some good things and that kind of stuff, but that's, that's really all he is. It's just sort of this good guy. I mean, he's a good teacher. We like that he said, take care of your neighbor and, and care for the poor. No one's going to stand up against that. We go, oh, yeah, of course we should do that. I mean, I think all people would even say, clearly he's a smart guy. Clearly, he has sort of this prophetic kind of voice. He says these wise things. Many people would even say, well, he's sent from God. He is a man of God. But Paul pushes harder on this. Paul takes us all the way back to creation, back to page one, and he goes, Jesus was there. Jesus was there at creation. And not only was he there, but it turns out, according to Paul, Jesus is the one who was doing all the work. Endorsed by God the Father, Jesus is himself the agent of creation, Paul says. Well, okay, well, why doesn't the Bible just say that? Why don't we just open page one? In the beginning, this guy named Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Why couldn't it just come out and say that? Good question. Thanks for asking. So there's this phrase that I want to teach you. There's this theological phrase. It sounds really big and scary. It's not. It's this phrase, progressive Revelation. It, it's not scary. It just means that God over time reveals a fuller picture of himself, which means that we can't just open the Bible and go page one. Now we know everything there is to know. Read a few paragraphs and we know everything there is to know about an infinite God. No, it doesn't work that way. He progressively, he over time reveals more and more and more and a little bit more about his character, about his nature, about his mind, about his love. So even as you march through the Bible, you could meet a guy like Abraham pretty early in the Bible. Abraham knows some things about God. In fact, Abraham knows quite a bit about God. But go a thousand years later, and King David knows more. God has revealed more of himself. Go a few centuries later, and guys like Elijah, Isaiah, they know even more. By the time you get to Christmas and Jesus is born, even more is revealed. And again, it's this big theological word, but it makes total sense. It's not really that controversial or anything. I mean, did you think about it just in relationship terms? Did you learn everything there is to know about your spouse on your first date? Like, hopefully not, or that are really shallow, right? Like, hopefully, over time, you learned more about the complexity of this person that you have grown to love. 
And over time, you learn more about their character and the things they like and the things that they don't like. That's what God does. Over time, he reveals more of himself. He can't just go page one, here it all is. It wouldn't fit on page one. So over time, he reveals more and more and more of himself until the time that Jesus comes and now all is revealed in Christ. And so it's 30 years after Jesus has lived and died. And Paul is writing this letter and he's going, this is Jesus. This, listen to me. This is him. He is the creator. He was there at creation. He made all of it through his power, through his skill. It was made by him. It was made through him and it was made for him. He's making this really big statement that Jesus is the creator of all things. See, like, get, get your head around this. I, I think we can. I think we can. It's, it's kind of hard. It's, it's big, but I think we can understand it. See, we, we love cuddly baby Jesus. We love little baby Jesus lying in the manger, and we want to celebrate that, and it gives us, you know, all the Christmas feels when we think about that stuff, and that's really good. We should celebrate that. Cuddly baby Jesus, loving, forgiving, gentle, and Paul says he's the creator of the universe. He's both. He's cuddly baby Jesus that we love. And he's all-powerful, creator of all things. And what I want you to see and what I want to impress upon you today is how powerful he is. Because when we only see this, the, the Christmas story as sort of this cuddly little baby Jesus, he's all warm and he's wrapped in blankies and he, he smells like a baby and we just love him, right? He's cute and he's great. We only get half the story. That's only half the story of who Jesus is. We have to be able to step back from Christmas and, and we'll get to loving and gracious forgiving, gentle Jesus. We'll get there. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And that's super important. But we have to be able to step back far enough to actually see how powerful he is, that in him, through him, and for him, all things come into existence. Verse 17 adds to the mix. Paul writes that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So not only did Jesus speak and everything just came into existence. He actually holds it all together. Jesus doesn't make the world and kind of push all the mountains together and form little people and then just sort of spin the earth and go, now it's in orbit, and then just sort of walk away. That's something called deism. That's not what Jesus does. He doesn't back off. Jesus sustains the world hour by hour, minute by minute, second by second. There's this incredible summary statement in the book of Hebrews. Write this in your notes, Hebrews 1, 3. There's this incredible summary statement of what all is going on here. Here's what the author of Hebrews says, that the Son, that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He's sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is sustaining all things. He's holding everything together with nothing but a word. 
parents. I can't even get my kids to brush their teeth, okay? And Jesus is holding all things together just by speaking a word. It's almost like he's going, okay, gravity, keep going. Sun, keep burning, keep shining. Oxygen, keep flowing. He's just speaking words. He's going, creation, keep going, keep going. Just with a word, he has that kind of power, that kind of authority day by day. Week by week, month by month, year after year after year after year, since the beginning of time, with just a word, Jesus holds everything together. And we love cuddly baby Jesus. We love forgiving, loving, gentle Jesus. And somewhere along the way, we forget that he is almighty God who doesn't overpower us. He's not a bully. And yet he is full of power. He is powerful, full of power all the time from beginning to end. Always powerful. Let me show you what this means from his own words. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named Job. It looks like Job. It's Job. Job's got a book named after him. It's all about his life story. Job's life falls apart. And the book of Job is like 42 chapters long, and 37 of them are just Job complaining and going, what in the heck happened? How did I end up here? And finally, he shuts up, and the Lord speaks. And this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus, through words, is trying to give Job a glimpse of his wisdom and his power. And we love cute, snuggly baby Jesus. But listen for a second to all powerful Jesus in his own words as he talks to Job. Listen to this. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me. Who marked off its dimensions? Who tells the sea how far it may come? Have you given orders to the morning? Have you shown the dawn its place? Tell me, what's the way to where light and darkness live? Have you entered the storehouse of snow or of hail? Can you raise your voice to the clouds? Do the lightning bolts report to you? Who provides food for the raven? Who gives the horse its strength? Does the, does the eagle soar at your command? Can you catch a sea monster and make it a pet or put it on a leash? Can you bring forth the constellations in their season? Do you know the laws of heaven? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Tell me. I mean, could you for a moment stop and see the power and majesty of Jesus? We're going to get to gentle, loving Jesus. We'll go there in a minute. It's really important. We're, we're going to get there. But could you stop and see the power of Jesus, the second member of, of the Godhead who has created all things, who fully makes known the heart and mind and character of God? And look at this. He's even better than we thought. Go back to verse 16. Listen to what Paul says. He throws a little mystery in here. Paul says that in him, in Christ, all things were created, visible and invisible. He has made all things that are seen and unseen. So you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon. It'll take your breath away. You can see in all kinds of directions. As far as you look in every direction, the canyon continues. It's so far across, you can barely see. You can barely see the bottom. It will inspire you. You could go scuba diving at the Great Barrier Reef. I'm sure it would be incredible. And Paul goes, yeah, Jesus made all those things. 
And he made things you've never even seen. I mean, think about this for a minute. Do you have room to imagine this? Do you have room for this kind of mystery? That of all the things that you have seen, as incredible as they might be, is it possible we've only seen a glimpse of what Jesus is capable of? That he's, we've just seen an inkling of his power because he's made things that we've never even seen. He is the creator of creativity. I wonder if you even have space for that. I wonder if you would even have margin in your life for that, just to stare at the sky, to look at the stars and just go, man, what might you be capable of, Jesus, with all that I have seen? And Paul says it, thrones and rulers and, and authorities and powers and all the things that impress us and all kinds of things that we've never even seen. Imagine. And people spend their time fighting about who is this guy? Is he just a prophet? Is he just a good teacher? I think we've just scratched the surface of understanding Jesus's power. I think it would be cool. I would encourage you somewhere between now and Christmas in the next few days, just as a way to honor the Lord. I think it would be really cool if you got alone for a few minutes and you just talked to him and you said, what are you capable of? Just imagine, Jesus, what are you capable of? And just, again, to honor him, just to sit and be in awe, to imagine that there is a God who has, with the word, let there be light, created everything that we can see and created things unseen. Paul says his name is Jesus, verse 18. Verse 18 says he is the head of the body, the church. So he's our leader. He is our shepherd. He's the beginning and the firstborn among the dead. There's that word again. Don't want to scare you. Just means of utmost importance. His death is of first importance in history so that in everything he might have the supremacy. I've told you this before. The word so that, underline them, highlight them, circle them in your Bible, so that. They're really important because you're about to get an explanation of something. Why did Jesus create everything? Why did Jesus flex his power to bring it all into being? Why did he make an incredible physical world that we can see and a spiritual world? Why did he make things that just cause us to be amazed and things we've never even seen? So that in everything he might have the supremacy. So that in everything he might be known and praise from page one of the Bible, where he makes it all from then until now, and every story in between, and every time in this sermon series we've been in that we've seen Jesus show up to give us a glimpse of the character of God. Why did he do all of it? That he might be known and praised. And you could take everything that's ever happened in history. And you could take everything that's ever been made and ask the question why. And the answer is always that Jesus Christ might be known and praised for his supremacy. You could even take that, that sort of way of thinking and apply it over your own life as a grid to everything that you've experienced. Why have you gone through? Why have you experienced all that you have so that Jesus Christ might be known and praised? Why were you born into the family that you were born into? So that Jesus Christ might be known and praised. Why do you have the job that you have or the position of power that you have? 
so that Jesus Christ might be known and praised? Why are you still single when you so badly thought you'd be married by now? So that Jesus Christ might be known and praised? Why are we about to celebrate our second Christmas in a pandemic? So that Jesus Christ might be known and praised. It's all for his supremacy. Everything you see and you don't see was made by him, through him, and for him. That's the kind of power he has that he could make everything just the way he wants it to be and just for him, just right, just in a way that would suit him, that would bring him praise and honor and glory for his supremacy. He kind of reminds me of, if you think of like a home builder, think of like a contractor who builds a house for himself whose job, and maybe for years, has built houses for other people. There's one after the other, one after the other, one after the other. Now it's his turn. He's going to build something for himself. So what does he do? He orders all the materials that he and his family want. It doesn't matter if anybody else likes them. It doesn't matter what the resale value is going to be. That's what they want. He designs the bedroom and the living space and, and the kitchen just the way it works for his family. He orders the supplies, nothing in bulk, everything is custom, just the way they want it, just the way it will work for them. And he gets all done, he builds it, and like so often where he hands over the keys to the new family, he doesn't have to do that this time. It's for him. That's Jesus over creation. It's all his, made by him, through him, and for him, that he might be known and praised. It is for his supremacy. And I say all this because we think about Jesus and we have all these different sort of impressions that come to our mind. And some people, when they think about Jesus, they think about cute, cuddly little baby Jesus, little snuggly baby Jesus. He's so great. Other people, they think of Jesus and he's kind of this cool, progressive, hippie kind of teacher. Still, other people think of Jesus almost like he's Santa Claus. He knows if you've been bad or good, right? And you just take all of that and you go, no, 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 no. This is El Shaddai. This is Almighty God who has the power to create with just a word, who has the power to sustain all that you've seen with just a word, who's made everything before you and things you've never even seen. He is all-powerful God. Do you see it? Do you see his power? The power of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ who with a word can create the world, who with a word, he can calm the storm, who with just a word, he could drive away evil, with just a word, he could heal us spiritually, with just a word, he could heal us physically. Do you see his power? I need you to see it because of where Paul's about to take us. Do you see that he is almighty, all-powerful God? Watch this, verse 19. Paul writes, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Don't miss this. Jesus is not 50% God. He doesn't have just a little drip of God in him. He is God. The fullness of God dwells in him. This is a throwback to Ezekiel 44 in the Old Testament where it talks about the temple is the place where the fullness of God Dwells Now the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Christ's blood. 
shed on the cross. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing, worthy to be praised, Jesus. And do you see what he does? He makes peace. He reconciles things to God. He goes to the cross. He is all-powerful, and he is gentle, humble, forgiving, loving servant Jesus. But you have to first see him as all-powerful to get to this place where you can see him as loving and to understand what it really means that he made peace. Because if Jesus isn't all-powerful, his death on a cross means nothing. Lots of people throughout history have been crucified, some really good people. But if he is not all-powerful, he doesn't have the ability to reconcile us to God. If he's not all-powerful, he's just standing between us and God. It's like, it's like two friends fighting. You've had this, and you're stuck in the middle, and you have two friends fighting, and you, you just you, everything you do, you're trying to get them to reconcile. Come on, guys. Come on. Back to each other, right? But you can't fix it. They have to fix it. If Jesus is just some good teacher... If he is not all-powerful, he's just a good guy who said some wise things, he can't reconcile to God what's been broken. And the world is broken. You feel it. Sin has entered the world and broken it. And if Jesus is not all-powerful, it's like he's standing between us and God going, come on, guys, just get along. Everybody be friends again. Just play nice. The only person who could fix the brokenness, the gap between us and God, is God himself, and it's Jesus. So he puts on skin, and he becomes like one of us, and he reconciles everything to God through his perfect blood shed on a cross. The almighty God, the creator of the world, came and made peace through his blood. But it's only possible to believe that if you believe that he's powerful enough to do it, to to actually believe that he is all-powerful. Then we get to loving, forgiving, gracious Jesus. Then we get to a relationship with Jesus. I know this is deep. I know it's a little heavy. You could hear something like this, honestly. You could hear something like this, and it could just go over your head, and just go, man, this is like, this is too much, but I, I think you can handle it. And I want to show you because I think there's a way where you could go, does anything that you've just said have anything to do with real life? Like, is anything that you've said so far actually impacting my life? Is there something real about it, right? Because you have a lot to do. It's, it's Christmas. You've got presents to wrap and shopping, and your house is a mess, and people are coming over, right? So it's like, what, okay, what, what does this have to do with real life? Let me see if I can give you just a couple of things, just a couple practical points, some things about Jesus. If you want to write them down, go for it. I know it's heavy. Stick with me for just a couple minutes. The first one, the first thing I want to tell you is this, is that Jesus is all-powerful and he brings peace. See, he's all-powerful, but he's, he's not scary. For those who have a relationship with him, yes, he has all power, but that's not scary. Paul uses the word peace. I love that he uses the word peace because he's actually connecting back to Christmas. See, Paul has a buddy named Luke. Luke writes a book uh, in the Bible. And in that book, he tells a story about Jesus being born. And he says that when Jesus was born, all these angels started singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom God's favor 
rests. Jesus brings peace. See, he doesn't flip a switch and fix everything. He doesn't drop a million dollars in your bank account. He doesn't give you the perfect family that you think you want. He doesn't, in an instant, cure our depression. He gives us peace. He goes, come, come to me. Bring me your burdens. I'll give you peace. Stay close to me. I'll give you peace. Hold up to me your brokenness. Give it to me and your anxieties. And even your dreams and your pursuits, give them all to me, and I'll give you peace. And Jesus will show up in all kinds of ways. If you're lonely this Christmas, he'll give you peace. If you're sad this Christmas, he'll give you peace. If the peace that you need is because you have a strained relationship with someone that you love, a family member or a friend, he's got peace for that as well. And it's not just an empty promise. This is not feel-good, motivational, pat-yourself-on-the-back, self-help crap. This is the creator of the universe making a promise. You need peace? I got peace. I'll give you peace. What else could you ask for? What else could we want than a God who will walk with us and will give us peace and is actually powerful enough to handle anything that we might hand him? He's so powerful, and yet he doesn't overpower us. He doesn't intend to scare us. He goes, so let me, let me just give you peace. Second thing I want you to see is that Jesus is all-powerful, and he's for you. So you go back to the passage, and it says that Jesus, through his blood, reconciled all things to God. Just get rid of all things and insert your name. Jesus, through his perfect blood, reconciles you and me. Jesus, through his perfect blood shed on the cross, reconciled Brad to Almighty God. He's for you. And I know it doesn't seem like it some days, but he actually wants good things for you. In the Christmas story in the Bible, there's some shepherds out in a field, and an angel shows up to him. And you remember what he says? The angel says, On this day in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. Today, a Savior has been born unto you, for you and me. Romans 8 says that we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. All things for good for those who love him. He's for you. Cuddly baby Jesus, snuggly baby Jesus, he's great. He is. But give me all-powerful, almighty Jesus who's on my side and for me. Maybe today, if I could just beg you to slow down for a minute. I know life is crazy. It's super hectic. You've got stuff to do. But maybe you could just slow down for a minute to see, to remember that he's God. It's Jesus Snuggly baby, he's in a little nativity scene on your, on your mantle, right? He's all-powerful God. He wants to bring peace in your life. He's for you. And this birth that divides time, this person that people have fought over for 2,000 years, he just wants you to have peace. So this Christmas, I know it's going to come with a range of emotions. You're likely going to experience joy and probably some frustration. 
I hope you experience some absolute happiness and you're also gonna probably have some anxiety. So can we just end here? Could I pray for all of us that the almighty God in the coming week, days ahead, would overwhelm us with his peace? Would you bow your heads with me? Father and our God, we thank you that you're powerful. Thank you that even as we talk to you, it's not just words being cast out into the ether. You hear us. You're all powerful. You've gone before us. And you're for us and you want us to experience peace. What else could we ask for? God, I pray that you would meet us in everything that we're feeling and everything that we're experiencing to bring us peace. I pray that we would stay close to you when we're anxious, when we're fearful, that we would turn to you Jesus, I pray that even as we celebrate your birth over this coming season, that we would have in full view who you are, creator of all things, maker of things seen and unseen. I can't imagine the depths of your creativity. We've seen your power and glimpses, God. We want to see more. Please help us to remember as we celebrate this Christmas and as you bring us peace, please help us to remember that it is all for your supremacy, that Jesus Christ would be made known and praised. And I pray, God, that you might continue to just give us more and more of your love as we trust you more more glimpses of your power and your goodness. A peace that overwhelms us, a peace, Jesus, that you said that you have because of your relationship with the Father. Please now, even in this moment, give us that kind of peace. Thank you, Jesus, that you, through your perfect blood shed on a cross, through your loss of life, you gave us life. We pray these things in your name. Amen.